God is good. Amen. Amen. I'm a little charged up. I'm a little pumped up and excited about what God has done, is doing. And as you open your Bible to Exodus 14, he wants to continue to do. So if you would open your Bible to Exodus chapter 14. When you get to Exodus chapter 14, you're going to want to go to verse 13. I promise you I will be there in a few minutes. And you're going, Jeff, why are you saying it that way? Well, I'm not going to get there at the beginning. We're going to get there, I promise you. Just hang in there. But if you're using that pew Bible, you can go to page 76. I pray that you have already studied uh, Exodus chapter 14 a little bit each Wednesday night in prayer meeting online or in the room. I always tell the church where we're going so they can spend Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, allowing God to begin to work in their heart through the scripture of that. So be looking for that each week. But Exodus chapter 14, we'll pick up in verse 13 in just a few minutes. As you know, last week we ended with Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And it says there in verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi Harhiroth, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. We know that last week we even used a map on screen to talk about how God was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, beginning this journey, and he led them out. And we talked that he led them to a place called Pi Harhiroth, which is due south, not in the direction of the promised land, but God led them there to a place that was what Scripture said in chapter 13, not the near way, not the quick way, not the easy way to get to the promised land. And we spoke last week that sometimes God takes us the short way. But sometimes God knows us enough to know that he needs to take us the long way. And I want to remind us just from last week before we move forward that God is always choosing to lead and guide you. He's always ready to lead and guide you. He may choose the short way or the long way, but God is always the one who desires to lead you, and he knows where he's taking you. He knows why he's taking you there, and he knows what he's got ready for you at the end. And sometimes we lose track of that in the middle of the journey. But I saw a new note as I stepped back to read this It says that at the end here, you shall camp before it by the sea. So God led them to this place opposite the way that they thought they should be going. And he said, and you're going to camp there, which means that God says you're going to be there a few days. You see, when you have two and a half million people, you really just don't stop unless you have to. Because it takes a lot to put down 2.5 million people and you put up to 10. So they were going to camp. They were going to be there a little while in order to camp. And so as I kept reading, and I'm getting to verse 13, but I'm going to set the context before we get to verse 13. God had a purpose for this. One of the things he said in verse 3, if you were to read it, it says that Pharaoh will say, because they've gone that direction, that they're lost in the wilderness. That Pharaoh's going to change his mind, and he does, And he says, why did we let them go? That Pharaoh is going to say that we should go after them. And God says in verse 4, he said, and I will gain honor because he does this over Pharaoh, over his army, and over Egypt, that that they may know that I am the Lord. 
Verses six and seven says that the Pharaoh gets his chariot. He actually physically gets in his chariot and goes to get them. He takes his people, Scripture says, takes 600 chariots and the captains of those chariots. And verse eight says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, remember, we talked, it's probably been a number of weeks ago now, how the hardening of Pharaoh's heart began with Pharaoh not being willing to look at God, not being willing to take himself out of the king's seat of his life and put God there. And the, the hardening of his heart began. But we also said that after a time, when you reject God and reject God and reject God and reject God and reject God, that God eventually just gives you what you want. And that's what's happened to Pharaoh. And God says, now that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, we need to finish dealing with Pharaoh. In verse 9, it says that they took out and Egypt pursued them. And then if you keep reading, Egypt, because they're trained and organized and on wheels and all this stuff, they overtook them as they camped. So God led the children of Israel, 2.5 million people, to a place in between Migdal and the sea, a place called Pi-Hariroth, and he said, now camp there. And then he led Egypt from Egypt to get all riled up and to come down and try to overtake them. God had a point. He had a purpose. See, he had Israel camp there, I believe Scripture will teach, because God was waiting on Egypt to arrive. God knew what he was doing and what was going to happen, and so he waited on Egypt to arrive. And in verses 10, 11, and 12, right before we're getting ready to read in just a second, it says that Israel sees the Egyptians drawing close. Now, something of that big of a deal, you turn, and they one way, they see the sea, and then they look toward the hill, and they see the Egyptians coming over to them. And Scripture teaches in verses 10 through 12 that they do three things. Number one, it says they, were, they become very afraid. Number two, it says that they cried out to the Lord. And number three, they chastised or gave Moses a hard time. If you read in verses 11 and 12, they'll look at Moses and they'll say, Moses, why have you done this? They'll say, you, we, we told you while we were in Egypt to leave us alone. And they go, we're going to die. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you've got to bring us all the way out here into the wilderness for us to die? So they chastise Moses. You see, they're trapped between the Egyptians and the sea. And when you get caught in a press like that, you know what happens. It's like when you squeeze an orange. You squeeze an orange, you're going to get orange juice. You're going to get whatever is inside that orange. And now Israel is being squeezed between the sea and the Egyptians. And we see what comes out of them. Fear and chastisement. Now, I'm going to make a revelation about your pastor that's not actually going to be a revelation at all. I'm a very simple person. And you're going, yeah, we know that. But the reality is, is that when I read this scripture where I talk about how Israel decided they were going to be afraid, call upon God, which is a good thing, but then they chastise Moses. Can you imagine? They're coming right out of calling on God and then they're giving Moses a hard time. So there's something still not right in their heart. And then I had a Sesame Street moment come up in my life. You see, when you are afraid and chastise Moses and you call upon the Lord, my simple mind went, one of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't 
belong. You guys remember this, right? Come on, tell me you guys remember this, right? Okay, that's good. And they would go on in those lyrics and they would say, one of these things is not like the others. Can you find it before we finish this song? And the one I, the video I looked at was about balloons and there were three red balloons and a blue balloon and they're all moving around and then the three red ones disappear and they're the blue one. It was different. Unfortunately, that's how my mind works. I started singing that song. I wrote the lyrics down so I could share it with you today. But the spiritual point, and you're going, Jeff, I hope there's a spiritual point to bringing up Sesame Street on a Sunday morning, <laughs> is that we have to make a choice in life. You see, to be afraid and to cry out to the Lord, they don't belong together. To call on the Lord and then chastise the Lord's leader, they don't belong together. So there's something wrong in Israel's heart. And the thing about it is we shouldn't be surprised about this. God's chosen to take them on the long way, not the short way. Why? Because they weren't ready. God always puts us in positions where we're not ready so that we can learn about him, seek him, and come to know him and become more and more ready. So the fact that one of these things is not like the others, that their lives are inconsistent, that's exactly where they probably are supposed to be given the fact that God is just now beginning to try to teach them. But God wouldn't let me get off this point. He let me get off the song, and maybe the songs are gonna rev, you know, wrap around in your head for just a little while, but I have marked in my Bible just a few verses that I wanted to share with you. In Mark chapter 5, verse 36, you can write this down. Jesus said, and this was when they had brought the, uh, the father had come with his daughter being sick, and Jesus, as soon as they heard the word that she had died, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Jesus said, you can believe or you can be afraid, but I'm telling you now, you don't, you can't be both. Believe or be afraid. And then when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, another verse, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Did you notice there's a choice there? God says, I'm ready. I want you to have it all. I want you to choose life. But you have a choice to make in that situation. Then when you go to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, a verse that we all know, probably have it hanging in your house someplace. It says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then one final verse I want to share with you. God just kept trying to make a point to me. Romans Chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And we know, know is a good word, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you notice that scripture just continues to make the point you must choose, you must choose, you must choose? Don't be fearful and calling on God. You either call on God or you're fearful. Calling on God should take away the fear. A choice must be made, but the interesting thing about that choice is that choice must be made before it must be made. Do you guys understand what I just said right there? You need to desire right now to choose to trust God, to choose to seek God, to choose to hear and follow God 
so that when the time comes when you find yourself caught between the sea and the enemy, whatever challenge it is that God chooses to bring in your life, you know the answer is, I have chosen already to serve God, to trust him, to seek him. You see, when you wait until that moment, you become unsteady. You become uncertain based on what's going on in your life. So one of the things that God's teaching them now and us now is that choose now who you are to do and how you are to live. And it's into this context. All of this happens from 14.1 through 14.12. So I ask you to stand with me. We're going to read together. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 to 22. Exodus chapter 14, picking up in verse 13, right where we've left off, it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I shall gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen, Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. I pray that uh, as we continue to walk through scripture, God will lay something important on you that you want to make a, a note of. But verse 13 says, and Moses said, so in response to the children of Israel being afraid, calling on the Lord, chastising Moses in the position of between the sea and the enemy, Moses calls out to all of the children of Israel and says this, do not be afraid. He goes on to say, stand still and watch, see what the Lord does for you today. Those Egyptians, they will never be a problem for you again, ever, ever, ever. Verse 14 says, because the Lord will fight for you. Now, later in this journey, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, I want to read this verse to you. It says, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. The Lord will fight for you. Do you know that wherever you find yourself, whether you're between the sea and the enemy, whether you're facing a challenge in life, the Lord is right there to lead and guide and never leave nor forsake. He has a way that he wants you to trust and look to him 
and seek him. Verse 14 says, you are to hold your peace. Now, God, I stuck on this a little bit, and I love it when I read Scripture. Church, I'll tell you, if you'll just read Scripture over and over again, God will draw things out to you and say, there's something I want you to learn right there. And one of the things he drew out to me was the word, hold your peace. You see, it's an interesting thing. You cannot hold your peace unless you at first are at peace. That make sense? You can't hold on to it if you don't have it to begin with. And Moses is saying, hold on to that peace you have. And you're going, Jeff, were they ever at peace? Well, if I took you back, one of the things I didn't say in chapter 14, verse 8, just to help draw this point, it says that the children of Israel went out with boldness. There was a time when they're walking out of Israel and they're saying, yeah, our God is better than all your gods. Our God is alive. Our God has sent these plagues. Our God has killed all of your firstborn. Our God is leading us out of here. We're out of here. They were bold. They had a peace. So hold on to your peace is what Moses is saying. Don't let it go. Do you know that letting go of your peace is a choice that you make? Have you ever met anybody that regardless of what they went through, what they were caught up in, they seemed unflappable. Their peace just remained. And you go, man, I don't know how they do that. No, it's God gave them the peace and they chose, regardless of situation, circumstances, or challenges, they said, and I'm not letting it go. I just thought that was an awesome reminder. And I pray right now that God is through his word and through his spirit, working in your life right now to say, whatever that challenge is that you're dealing with, hold on to your peace. I'm right here. Hold on. Do not let it go. You make that choice. Hold on to your peace. Verse 15, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, we need to understand this, go forward. Go forward physically. Move. Do something. Go forward spiritually. Move. Trust me in what you do and go forward emotionally, as we just said. Hold on to your peace. But in verse 16, look what God says to Moses. He tells Moses to go. In verse 16, he says, oh, at the end of 15, he says, why do you cry unto me? Verse 16, he tells them to go. I believe that God said, Moses, you don't need to turn to me in verse 15. I've already told you what we were doing. I believe that this says that God is revealing his way to his leader as they go. You know, the book of Amos says that God does nothing until he first reveals it to his leader, to his prophet, to his faithful one to lead. And so I believe that God had told Moses what he was going to do. And he says, Moses, don't turn and ask me what to do now. Just do what I've already told you the plan was. He's saying, Moses, follow the plan. Obey me. Act in faith. Lead, Moses. And as I read this, I was challenged. As God's leader for First Baptist, I am reminded that I must seek God every single day. I must listen to God I must obey God. I must act in faith and I must lead. Church, can I tell you something? I pray for you. I pray for the church as a whole. 
I pray for you specifically as I know of things that are going on in your life. You guys reach out to me and keep me updated, and that is precious to me, and please do that. Sometimes I pray through the church directory, by picture, or by address. I pray for you. As God lays you on my heart, I pray for you. I pray that you will desire God more than anything. I pray that it will be your daily desire to chase after God. But as your pastor, I need to ask you to do something. Pray the same for me. You see, I'm on the same journey you're on. Pray the same for me. And together, we will walk on this journey. You see, God had to encourage Moses too. And he said, Moses, I've already told you what to do. Now go. And sometimes that's a real issue. Sometimes I know clearly what God wants me to say on a Sunday morning. But then it's amazing how the doubts can jump in. So I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Amen. Now note this miracle in verse 16. God is parting the Red Sea. Let me read verse 21 again. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. Did you notice? God created a pathway through the sea. Now, this is two and a half million people, give or take. I don't think God created a sidewalk through the Red Sea. I don't think God created a road through the Red Sea. I think God created a superhighway big and wide in order to get two and a half million people to be able to walk through it. Now, I've read somewhere that the place that they walked, depending on where they were, was at least three miles, could have been longer. But God built this passageway, opened it up for them. But note this, and God just stopped me in my tracks on dry ground. Now, I knew this, I've read this. But dry ground, it's mentioned in verse 16, dry ground. It's mentioned in verse 21, dry ground. It's mentioned in verse 22, dry ground, three times. Now, I know enough in scriptural speaking that when, they, when the Lord takes time to mention something three times in a short period of time, you need to stop and figure out what he's trying to tell you. So I stopped and I said, Lord, what are you trying to share with us? Well, the parting of the Red Sea was to allow two and a half million people to exit Egypt under the watch of the enemy in the face of their perceived loss. They thought they were going to die. And it's one of the greatest miracles recorded in all of the Bible. Do you know that it is referred to many other times in Scripture? This is a big deal miracle. But wait, this is where God started to reveal this to me because see, if God would have chosen to allow Israel to cross the Red Sea in waist-deep water, that would have been a great miracle. Would it not have been? What if God would have chosen to allow them to walk through in ankle-deep mud? That would have been a great miracle. To see a sea part so you can get through it is a miracle any way you cut it. But Scripture tells us three times right here that it was on dry ground. You know, those miracles would have been great. But those miracles, that's not our God. 
Let me tell you what God started to blow my mind away. God says, nope, I love these people. I have a plan for these people. I'm leading these people. I'm teaching these people. I'm calling these people. And it is not good enough for them to walk through in waist deep water. No, 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 it's not good enough for ankle deep mud. He said, my people are going to get the best I can provide for them. And he said, and dry ground is what they need right now. And he didn't just blow the wind, blow the water apart and then give them white ground. No, he gave them dry ground. He said, my love and care for them calls for me to give them my best. And this floored me. I remember just thinking and reading and praying through this in my office. And I began to cry, thinking about the character of God, the goodness of God, the provision of God that he has provided for me, that he always gives us his best. Amen? So I'm going to ask you right now to turn with me. Yes, I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, if you've got that pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 1344. If you're on your iPad or your phone, you're probably already there. If not, I think it's important. You know, I write down a lot of scriptures so you don't have to go there. This one, I think is pretty important. When you get to Ephesians chapter three, I want you to go to verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. Now, While you're getting there, if you're a note taker, you're going to want to write this down. And if you're not a note taker, you're going to want to become a note taker and write this passage down because you're going to want to revisit this, I trust, as you see God moving and working. Ephesians chapter 3, let me read verses 14 to 21. Paul writes, he said, for this reason, remember we just came off of dry ground, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's character demands that he always give you his best. Dry ground, that was best. Ten Commandments, that's going to be best. We're going to talk about the authority they have in our lives. But then it extends all the way through. God will always give you the best. And he sent his son, Jesus, to redeem us, his best. And God just kept challenging my heart when I realized that this was a whole lot more than just the parting of the seas, that it's a teaching moment of the people, those people 
an us people. In every situation in my life and in your life, you can trust that the character of God will cause him to give you his very best. So regardless of where you find yourself, what you're dealing with, whether you're caught between the sea and the enemy or whether you're caught in some other challenge, God is right there saying, I'm ready to lead you and I'm ready to give you my best. What's good? Now, while God is leading Israel through the Red Sea, which took all night, look what else he does. Look at verse 19. I'm back to Exodus chapter 14. Look at verse 19. It says that the angel of God went behind. Now, this angel of God is this pillar of cloud or pillar of fire that we were introduced to last week where God says, I will lead you. Wherever I go, you go. When I stop, you stop. And he's leading them. But here, now that God has opened up the sea and the people are moving forward, this pillar of cloud went, Scripture says, from before them in front of Israel to behind them. Well, you know what's behind Israel is the enemy. And so God is taking his angel, his protection, and placing it right between Israel and Egypt in a zone right there. The Scripture says that Egypt got the dark side. It says it was dark. They couldn't do anything. And the scripture says that Israel got light at night to be able to walk through, to see their way through the Red Sea. Scripture teaches that the two never came any closer during that time. God was protecting them. Psalm 139, verse 5. Now, Psalm 139 is an awesome psalm. But every verse carries with it its own little awesomeness the Psalm 139, verse 5 says, You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Do you know that wherever you find yourself right now, if you're a child of God, He's in front of you, He's in back of you, He's beside you. I guess He's over you, over you, and under you. He's got you. Scripture teaches that we are in Christ, in God. We are enveloped in God as a child of God. Kept the enemy away. You know, our God can both lead us and protect us at the same time. Let's read verse 22. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Israel crossed over. Now, in verses 23 to 31, you might want to read those later, and I pray that you do. Egypt pursues them into the sea, which means God moved his protection, brought them light, and they go, hey, they're in the middle of the sea walking through. So he pursued into the sea after them. Scripture teaches that God, in verses 23 to 31, troubled the enemy. Egypt recognizes that the Lord is fighting for Israel. But unfortunately, it's too late. God has extended hundreds of years to Egypt to come to know him. Plagues, teachings, warnings, but they would not. So now about the time that the last child of Israel steps out of the Red Sea, 
in my mind, the last of the Egyptian soldiers steps into the Red Sea. You see, there comes a time, church, when it's too late. It's too late for these Egyptian soldiers. They go, God's fighting for them. We better get out of here. It was too late. You know, Scripture teaches that um, every knee shall bow before him. Scripture does not promise that those knees being bowed are on the way to heaven. And these Egyptians are washed away, all of them. You know, there are people, maybe in this room, I know in our lives, that God has continued and continued and continued and continued to give them opportunity. We this week, through learning about the character of God, through learning about the provision of God, we can be a witness and a testimony to yet tell them again about the goodness of God. You can start with, hey, can I tell you about some dry ground? That's a pretty awesome reminder. The waters returned and the Egyptians remained no more. Let me read as I prepare to close. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 29 to 31, it says, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land. You see, it just keeps being reminded. In the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. That's at least the third time we've heard that. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. God saved Israel, conquered Egypt, and taught Israel in the same moment. Remember last week, we sort of said that God took them the long way. We sort of mirrored it with boot camp or basic training. Well, if we were in boot camp, perhaps our letter to mom today would be, mom, can I tell you what I learned in boot camp today? I learned that I don't have to be afraid. I learned I can hold on to my peace. I learned that I can obey God even in the midst of challenges. I learned that God can lead me and protect me at the same time and that I should praise him in all things. You see, Israel, they're going the long way because they're not ready. God's teaching us through Israel about the long way because we're not ready. Perhaps today, God leads you to a lesson about him and about his character and about what he wants for you and about what he has for you, and it's good. Now, I don't know what challenge you're facing. I don't know how close to the enemy and how close to sea looks. I don't know what your challenge is, and I would love to know that so I could, no pun intended, walk with you through it. But God knows. And I pray that today you will allow him to have his way in your life, whatever that looks like.